God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on My Bridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from City Light Church in Omaha. Here's Pastor Gavin Johnson. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. I want to preach a sermon titled, To Worship Our Way From Here to There. Worshiping Our Way From Here to There. And uh, parents, you know, that that feeling of anticipation that our kids feel around Christmas really captures at least the feeling that we are to feel in the Advent season. Advent season is really a season of longing. We look back to the Old Testament saints and identify how they longed for the coming of God's Messiah. And as we as New Testament saints and believers, so too we look forward to that coming day when God's going to right all the wrongs. But in the meantime, we're, we're living somewhere between now and then, right? As New Testament Christians, we know that last day is a good day. The good news of Christianity is that, that the unfolding of human events in history is not happenstance and, and circumstance and a meaningless wandering of events, but it is a purposeful, God-designed history unfolding that has a glorious end. We know that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to right all the wrongs. He's going to heal all the hurts. He's going to redeem all things. He's going to raise up to be with him, those who have trusted in him. And we will live in a glorious, vibrant, rich community with one another, and most importantly, with the Lord. That, that is a real date on the calendar in the future. Revelation 21 says that on that day, he's going to wipe away every tear. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. So there's a real date on our calendar that we look forward to with eager anticipation, and it's a glorious ending, a beautiful ending to the story of our lives, if we've trusted in Jesus, and of human history. The problem is we're not there yet, right? We have a wonderful promise and a real date on the horizon But that's not our current reality that we face every day. We're somewhere between now and then. And in the meantime, we've got to figure it out as we wade through a world that is rife with sin and darkness and brokenness, both out there and, if we're honest, also in here. We long for that future day. It's promised, it's secure, but it's not here yet. And sometimes we hear a gospel, especially in an evangelical pulpit that says, if you just accept Jesus into your heart, you'll go to heaven when you die, which is true. Or Jesus coming back is going to make everything wrong right again, you know, which is true. But the problem is that doesn't always help us navigate the complexities that are going to happen between now and that day. Are you with me? We still have to navigate these days. We still want to know, students, did I pass my finals last week, Right? Um, Will my aging parents make it to see another Christmas? Uh, Will the culture continue to spiral out of control? What kind of world will my kids and grandkids grow up in? All these uncertainties we don't know. We know the final chapter is a beautiful chapter, right? It ends, it's a beautiful story. But the chapters in between, you guys, nothing is promised. We don't know what's going to happen. There's a bright ending, but uncertainty between now and then. The question that we have to ask ourselves is as we work toward that future day, the happy ending, are we going to be a people of worship or worry? Will we worry our way between now and then, or will we be a people who are God-focused that are worshiping our way, anticipation of that last day? Well, this morning in our text, we're going to hone in on a young woman who was wading through her own complexities between her now and then. 
And I'm convinced that this young lady has a lot to teach us together this morning. Mary, the mother of Jesus, has just received some terrific news in Luke 1. Uh, The angel Gabriel appeared to her and said, guess what? God has blessed you. You're going to carry the Savior of the world. It's going to come through you. So she hears this glorious news of the first advent. Good news on so many levels. She is a sinner needing saved by grace, knows that her salvation is coming. She knows that Israel's redeemer is coming for her people. Uh, she knows that God has been gracious to choose her uh, to bring forth what we would call the first advent. And so there's a glorious day on her future horizon. She's looking forward to her own then. But if we can just take a moment and sort of unravel the the tinsel and Christmas light nostalgia off of this familiar story for a second, and just bring into view this real young woman's current reality. And we realize she has some challenges that she's going to have to face between now and then. She's received the promise, she looks forward to the promise, but she's not there yet. What are some of her complexities? Well, we don't know her age specifically, but based on uh, the Jewish culture of the day, women would have been betrothed somewhere between 13 and 15 years of age. So Mary, let's call her 14. How many of you remember junior high and know just being 14 is reason enough for panic? You know, hard enough as is. But number two, Mary's pregnant. And so in the midst of being 14, insert morning sickness, body transformation, sleepless nights. Furthermore, keep in mind, young teenage Mary is engaged to be married, but she is not yet in the covenant of marriage. Uh, She and her fiance Joseph have not, in a biblical sense, really known each other, okay? And so the lingering question naturally in her mind is, what's Joe going to think? Is he going to believe this story? Is he going to hang in there? I'm going to be facing this pregnancy alone, Am I going to be a single mother? And so being teenage is hard, being pregnant is hard, not knowing if you're going to get married is hard. Mary is three for three in this moment, but it's not done. Consider what's on the line for her reputation. Imagine going back into junior high and telling all your girlfriends, hey guys, I'm pregnant, but don't freak out. It's no big deal. I'm still a virgin. God put the baby in there and I'm pregnant with God. That's about as believable to her peers as Chris Haruska saying he won a spelling bee, right? (laughs) People go, really? But did you though? Are you sure? Sure, okay, congratulations. Uh, By the way, law of the day was customary. Uh, Marital relations outside of marital covenant was punishable by death. So our friend Mary has that to worry about. Today's text, we see that she's gone nearly 100 miles to visit her relative Elizabeth. So she's away from home. We know from the text she's there for three months. And in that time, hours away from home, there's no text, there's no Facebook, there's no checking in with Joseph to see how he's feeling about the whole engagement thing, checking in with their girlfriend. She's in a season of wondering what's going on back home. And so Mary is living in her own between now and then, right? She looks forward to the first advent with great anticipation, great honor, and yet she has about a thousand things that she can choose to panic about in her season between now and then. So the question is, how does Mary respond in her season between now and then? What we see from the text is she is a woman who worships God with her whole heart. Mary, in the season of uncertainty, erupts. An emotive language from her heart bringing glory to God. She sings the first ever Christmas carol 
We're looking at this young woman who could, who could stare down all of her current circumstances and be crippled with fear and worry, but she doesn't. She sings songs to God. And she sings what we know as the Magnificat. And as we look at this story today, I want to bring into view not only her between now and then, but also ours. And just ask the question, how do we learn from our dear sister Mary? In her season where she could be panicked and worried as she awaits her then, what do we have to learn from our dear sister? Because you and I have the same option. Again, we know the final chapter is bright, but we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we'll always have to make the decision, will I worship my way between now and then or worry my way between now and then? I think there's three key lessons that our friend Mary teaches us on how to worship our way from here to there. Uh, The first one is this. In those moments, we need to learn to look up at the character of God. Before we look out at our circumstances, out at the unknown, we need to first train our hearts and minds to look up at the character and nature of God and ground our heart in who he is. So Mary starts this song, and what strikes me is it's incredibly God-centered. She is a God-centered woman. She is rooting her heart in the character of God. Look at verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Did you know that your soul, your heart has a magnifying glass? Your heart in any given circumstance will bring into view something. It will make big something in your reality. You will either make big your circumstances and your worries and your problems. You'll make them big and you will worry or you will hone in on the character of God. Make him big in your mind's eye, in the view of your soul, and you will be captivated and you will worship. What does Mary do? She says, I'm going to make big in my heart who God is. Her song goes on. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. What does she see? My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Look how God-centered it is. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is what? He is mighty, has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary is drawn to the character of God. And what I love about her, she's not only a God-centered person, she is a Bible-centered person. This is a woman who knows who God is because she knows the word of God. You hear echoed in this song scripture references and scripture stories. The whole song itself echoes Hannah's song out of 1 Samuel chapter 2, which she would have known as a young woman of God. And so we know that this woman loves God and she loves scripture. And when she's faced with the uncertainty of what would come before the certain promise of Jesus, her attention goes to God. And where she starts her song is God's attributes. Who is this God? She names three of God's attributes in this first little stanza. She says he's mighty, he is holy, and he is merciful. Verse 49, she says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. So the first attribute her heart is drawn to is the strength of God. She's saying, who is God? Is he an impotent God who's panicked about my future circumstances? Oh no, he's an all potent God. There's nothing beyond his grasp. There's nothing that he wants to do that he can't do for lack of strength or ability. My God is mighty. And notice that she, there's no hint of Mary worship in here, right? We look to Mary as a model of faith, a dear sister of the faith, but never an object of the faith. Why? Because she doesn't view herself that way. She says, God has been mighty and helped me. She's saying, "I, I am not strong. He is strong and he has been mighty. So she first affirms that my God is 
powerful. He is in control. Then she says, uh, goes on, 49b, and holy is his name. To be holy means to be set apart, pure, all good, no ill motives, no question of character, no political incentive to work the side door to convince you of something, but he says what is true, and what is true is what he says. He is a God of holy perfection. He is all good. So she said, my soul magnifies the Lord. He's powerful and he is good. And then in verse 50, she says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mercy means to show compassion and kindness and forgiveness rather than punishment when punishment is due. And she says, God shows mercy to those who fear him. To fear in this sense means to revere, to honor, to trust in, to look up to. And so she's doing the calculus in her heart. She's identifying who her God is. He is all-powerful. He is all-good. He is all-merciful to those who trust him. And she starts to bring that to bear on her, on her own story. She magnifies God, and rather than worry, she begins to worship God. I want to ask you, where does your heart first go when you face the fear of the unknown and the crises that we all experience between the here and the now? Do you magnify your problems and freak out, or do you magnify the Lord and walk in faith? Do you magnify the crisis and walk in worry, or do you magnify the character of God and walk in a posture of worship? If I can be real, this has been a perennial struggle of mine. I've been a Christian for 20-some years right now, and I will just confess that my knee-jerk reaction is to magnify any problem in my life. I don't know if it's genetic predisposition, the way I am, something I need to repent of, but as much as I try, my knee jerk has always been, oh, there's a crisis, what's gonna happen? Let's anticipate the future, let's freak out, let's make it big, and it robs my sleep, and it robs my intellectual and relational engagement with my family in the evenings, but I will also confess, by God's grace and his sanctification in my life, the time that it stays there is getting less and less. That's God's grace, that's not me. My reaction is there, and I say, no, Lord, I need to learn from my sister Mary. You are good. This is not outside the bounds of your control. You are holy. I can trust you, God, and you are merciful to those who fear. You have no ill motive toward me. You are for my good, and so I will trust in you. How about you? Do you magnify your problems, or do you magnify the Lord? The first lesson we learn from our sister Mary is the first thing we do. We look up, and we remember the character of God. Second thing that Mary shows us, first we look up, then she shows us to look back and remember the works of God. So we look up and remember his character, but we look in the rearview mirror and we remember the mighty things that God has done. Look how she switches the tense in verse 51, her language shifts to past tense. She says, he has shown strength with his arm. She's looking in the rearview mirror. Remember when he did that? He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. God doesn't forget. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forevermore. And so she looks back and she goes, you know what? I'm not the first person in human history to experience some of these things. How has God dealt with his people in the past? Let's let that be my starting place. And she looks back and she starts to connect the stories that she grew up in Sunday school or Saturday school, as maybe it was, with her own story. She remembers the promises of God, the mighty acts that he's done. 
you can hear her in her story start to self-identify. Okay, she's poor and vulnerable. She's not rich and powerful. She's lowly and humble, not haughty and self-promoting. And she remembers her Bible and goes, oh yeah, God, God actually has a history of dealing kindly with people like me. I'm in a good place to be blessed by God. He's filled the hungry with good things. He's helped his people Israel. He's not forgotten his promises. He made promises to Abraham and he kept him. And now he's exalted me in my humble estate. He's chosen me of all people to carry the child of God. I see what he's doing here. Will he not help me? Will he not keep his promises to me? Will he not sustain and protect and provide for me all that I need? And I look at this woman and I think, what an incredible woman of God that we need to learn from. Not only is she worshiping God, you can hear what she's doing in her song. She is anchoring her heart in the character of God and in the works of God. We need to learn from her. If your heart is not anchored in the character of our God and in the works of our God, your heart will be a kite in the wind of all of your circumstances between here and eternity. Again, the final chapter is good. We feel good about that. You know the Lord? You're in a good place eternally. Next week could be a hot mess, okay? There are no promises. You get to heaven, yeah, but will you get through next week? I don't know. But what Mary says is, you will if your heart is anchored in the character of God and in the works of God. Do you know why Christians wake up and read their Bibles? For generations, Christians wake up, they read their Bibles first thing. We get up and read our Bibles. It's not a ritual to earn God's favor. We already have that in Jesus Christ, amen? All of God's favor. You don't get bonus points for Bible reading, okay? Morning Bible reading is not a religious act to ease our consciences. No, Jesus does that, not Bible reading. Why do we read our Bibles in the morning? To remember who God is and what he has done in the past. Why? Because we suffer from forgetfulness of God's grace, okay? We have grace amnesia. Did you know the Bible says the word remember 160 times? One. Six, zero. Remember, remember, remember how I brought you up out of slavery. Remember what I did for you. Look in the rearview mirror. Recall into your mind's eye what I have done. Because if we forget what he's done in the past, we're going to look into the future, forget that he's going to meet us there. You know what worry is? I'm convinced that worry, when you and I worry about the future, at its core, Worry is atheistic imagination of the future. When we worry, we're imagining the future in the worst possible scenario. We forget that God's going to be there, so we don't even write him in as a variable. And then we freak out about a fictional future reality that isn't going to come to pass. Talk about unproductive emotional energy, right? How do we convert our imagination of the future from atheist to, to Christian? I think Mary shows us it's by looking back. It's by training our brain. Oh yeah, God met me there. Oh yeah, God sustained me there. Oh yeah, God provided for me there. And as we start to discipline our heart and our mind to know that I didn't even know how God was gonna bring me through in that season, but he did, we're gonna start to anticipate our future and say, I don't know how it's all gonna work out, but I know it is, because God's gonna help me. God's grace is in the future. God's help is in the future. God's gonna be there because he was there. The ultimate work of God that we can bank on as we look in the rearview mirror, to guarantee that he's gonna provide for us in the future is the cross of Jesus Christ. When we look in the mirror and say, man, my ultimate needs, 
my ultimate enemies of sin that had corrupted me, death that was depending upon me, the devil that was speaking lies to me, destruction that was awaiting me. What did God do? Oh, he sent Jesus Christ. He atoned for my sins. He met my greatest needs. Will he not provide for tomorrow? No, I think he will. It's the exact logic of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 when he says literally, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, that's the past, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? As we look up to God's character, he is powerful, he is good, and he is merciful. We look at the past, so he's provided, he's done this, he's provided for us before we look out to our future. We look up and we look back. One of the little disciplines we do is a City Light staff team. We gather every week at the beginning of the week, and it's all staff prayer, and we pray for you guys and the church and the ministry and the lost in our city and the church plants and one another, and we open the Word of God. But first, before we do any of that, Chris or I or whoever's leading will always ask the question, in the past seven days, where did you see evidence of God's grace in our midst? Is there any sign that God showed up? Are we just busy Christian people, or are we experiencing God? And usually when we ask that question, it'll be quiet for a couple seconds, and we're all kind of thinking. And then John Randall, the college pastor, might say something like, well, on Tuesday night, there was a Creighton student who had been kind of antagonistic toward God, and he actually trusted Jesus this last Tuesday, and now I'm walking with him. And someone else will raise their hand and say, we were in the hospital praying with a sick kid, and it's not all sorted out, but we didn't think they are going to make it, and they're actually probably headed home next week. We think God is healing and working there. And hey, in the counseling meeting, there was a marriage that I, I thought was toast, but the husband repented, and the wife came this way, and I, I think God's doing something there. And we'll celebrate, hey, there was real confession of real sin happening in a huddle in a city group. And this city group multiplied and is engaging a whole new neighborhood. And what we're doing is we're reminding our hearts, oh yeah, what we're doing is not in vain. God is real. His grace is evident. We look in the rearview mirror, not only in this ancient and living text, but also in our own stories, that we have seen God at work. And you know what it does? It propels us forward into the another week prayerfully anticipating that God's grace is going to show up in our lives and in our church. So here's my encouragement for us as a church family. Uh, if you get any mealtime with your family, maybe your city group, some roommates, whatever your story is, I would encourage you to ask that same intentional question, but ask the question, hey guys, since last Christmas, where have we seen God at work in our family? Let's just take inventory. Might not have been easy, might have been a hellacious year. But did God do anything? Did he sustain us? Did he show mercy when we needed mercy? Did he carry us through a difficult season? Did he provide in unexpected ways? Did he give us strength to endure and joy in spite of our circumstances? Take some time as a family, as a community, and just look back. Start to inventory the grace of God in your life, and it will start to retrain your brain and your heart as you look forward to remind yourself, oh, God is in my future as well. So what we learned from Mary, one, we need to look up, remember God's character. Number two, we need to look back and remember God's past faithfulness. Number three, after that, we move forward with faith in God. Up to God's character, back to God's work, forward in faith in God. Faith says, listen, I don't know what the results of all this are going to look like. I don't know how all this is going to pan out. But I know that God's going to help us, and I'm going to do my job to just be obedient and faithful as I walk forward into this next season. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to choose to worship. I'm not going to freak. I'm going to walk by faith. That's what Mary shows us. The very last verse of our text is verse 56. 
It says, and Mary remained with her about three months. That's Elizabeth she's been with for three months and returned to her home. So her song is done. Now we have this transitionary sentence. She hung out for three months. Now she's on her way home. And the, the period of time in those three months, she's seen Elizabeth go from six months pregnant to nine months pregnant. We don't know if she's had her baby yet. We just know that Mary was there till the end. We do know that Mary is at least three months pregnant now, probably more because she had a journey there. So what does that mean? She's starting to show. This pregnancy starting to get real. It's not just an idea. She's maybe feeling some early baby kicks. There is a baby growing in her wombs. And as she start, starts her nearly 100-mile journey home, all of the questions are still in front of her. What are people going to think? Is Joseph going to be there when I get home? Do I have what it takes to be a mom? She doesn't know. For Mary, nothing about her circumstances changed. It's not like she had a quiet time and everything got better, you know? But even though nothing really changed in her circumstances, in her heart, really everything has changed, hasn't it? Why? Because she's brought into the view of her heart the character and nature of God. As a young, disciplined woman, she has meditated on God's character and reminded herself of who she is. She's remembered the works of God. She has rooted her heart in, in his character and in his works, and she's going to move forward full of faith that God is going to help her between now and then. City Light, God in Jesus has given you and me everything we need to do the exact same thing. This little baby, three months in utero, as Mary walks home, is going to be born we assume nine months or six months later, he would go on to live the obedient life to the Father that you and I have not. He would go to the cross to face the wrath of God that we ought to face, but he steps in in our place and he rises triumphantly, defeating the power of sin and death for you and for me. And now as we eagerly await his return, the happy ending to all of, this, all of the endings, the culminating good news that we all long for as we navigate the time between now and then, we have all we need to move forward in faith. This next year, this next season, full of faith. Is God not good? Has he not provided? And as we walk our own way from here to there, would we do so with a posture of worship, affirming God's character? I'll end with this. We've, we've really looked at the content of Mary's song, but I don't want to miss the context, the nature of it. It's, it, it is a song. She is singing. She is making melody from her heart to God. She's not just recalling his character and his works like she's reading from a dictionary or an encyclopedia. She is actually having an emotive, relational language well up and come out in melody, in notes, in rhythm, singing back to God. Over and over, the Bible commands us to sing, I think in part because we're very prone to understand intellectually the true things of God, but sometimes they don't always make the 18-inch journey down into our hearts. But by singing, Mary turns what she knows to be true into a relational language and sings it back to God. From her heart, she sings these truths back to God. And so this morning, our active response is to sing. We're going to take a moment, and we're going to sing about who God is. We're going to sing about what he has done. And we're going to sing loud, and we're going to sing joyously. And in doing so, it's not like an evangelical, just put on a happy face and pretend your problems aren't there. No, it's worshiping in spite of our problems. It's saying the problems are still there. But you know what? I'm going to magnify the character of God and say he's worthy even in the midst of the mess. Whatever meets me there, God's going to go before me and he's going to meet me there and he's going to sustain me. And so let's sing our songs to spite the devil and bring glory to God. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Gavin Johnson of City Light Omaha. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.